there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for over two decades now. And for about half of that time, he's been buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, Drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so for today's episode, this is a conversation with a new potential client who's considering not only investment in Japan, but also the possibility of retiring here. So we talk visas, obviously, um, potential options for purchasing a low-maintenance holiday home, in his case in Hokkaido, up in the cold north, which could later be converted into a full-time family home. Um, maintenance, management, uh, we talk a bit about akiyas, machiyas, kominkas, so older, abandoned or semi-abandoned traditional Japanese homes and farmhouses. And then we really drill deeper into investment properties. So how do tenancy leases work in Japan? How are yields and ROI calculated? And uh, we also talk about what we do at NTI and more specifically how we find or help our clients find potential properties, conduct due diligence on them, uh, pay and keep an eye on owner union, building management fees, uh, how and when are those fees increased? or when are one-off payments required from unit owners, and how much are these overall. And then we also talk about what happens when a building gets older, when it's advisable to sell them um, in renovation of properties. So really wide range of topics there, all related to investment real estate in Japan and relocating here. Enjoy the conversation, and I'll see you again on the other side. Yep. So I was trying to find your email just now, but for some reason it escapes me. Can you give me a background again? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm probably 10 years from retirement um, and I'm looking at um, potentially going to Japan for part of the time that uh, once we get there uh, to that point. But before we actually retire, we're looking at doing something before that point, you know, so buying something early and then at some point down the road, uh, potentially retiring there for, for part of the time. I, I understand that um, the uh, there's sort of like a long-term visa you can get if you have the, the financial means to support yourself. You can ap apply for the, the long stay, I think they call it. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about maybe doing um, to go over there. So I'm, I'm kind of looking at a, a wide variety of, of potential properties. Um, you know, like for the short term, you were looking at something that would require minimal maintenance, um, something that, you know, like an apartment or, um, uh, potentially like a, a machia type place where there's no yard or anything where you just you can leave and and, and not have to uh, have to landscaping and maintenance and stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. So that's well, I mean, what still with, with Japan's humidity, you still want to let somebody air the place once every month or two, depending on the season. But uh, yeah. you know, light vacuuming, that kind of thing. But otherwise, yes, no landscaping definitely reduces maintenance costs. Right, and so so we're kind of looking at that now. The the um, short term turnaround uh, type places we're looking at would be in the between five and fifteen million yen. But we're um, I know there's about a 20% fees on top of that. So probably five to 10 million is what we're kind of looking at. It's the, as the sort of the short-term budget. Um, if things go well with that, I think the idea would be eventually I, I'd like to do um, either a, a, like a very traditional Mechia or a Komika type property. Um, I'm, I'm big into renovation. I'm big into the Japanese architecture. I do a lot of woodworking myself. And so that inter is entertaining to me um, as, a, as a longer term perspective, but that budget would be much higher um, we'd be looking at uh, 30 to 50 million for something like that. Um, so that that's kind of the the progression of, of what we're looking at. So in, in the near term, we go to Japan roughly once a year. Um, we usually spend uh, two to three weeks while we're out there. And so the if we were looking at an apartment, uh, it would probably be one of the the bigger cities um, in the north. So something like uh, Sapporo, Hakodate, um, Akita, something like that is okay. sort of the areas we're looking at. Um, and so I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning about a lot of this stuff, but I know there's a lot I don't know. And so I'm trying to, that's why I'm coming to you, right? I, I've listened to, to a lot of your, your uh, podcasts that you released, read a lot of the um, stories that you had on your on your uh, webpage and, and kind of got to you through that mean, th those yep. means. Okay, well, I mean, look, you've addressed um, one of the bigger caveat. Basically, everything you've said makes sense, but the short-term stay approach needs to be researched a bit more carefully before you pull the trigger or anything. So you've addressed one of the aspects there, which is, to actually be able to do full short-term stays, you can't have an apartment in a condo block because the owner union is not going to allow you to do short-term. I mean, you oh. can do monthly stays, which is kind of a hybrid and it doesn't fall under short-term regulations, but um, it's always a bit more challenging in a condo unit with the owner association and the building, oh, HOA, you call it down there. So that's one aspect of it. So that does mean that you need to own the entire structure. So then the machia or kominka or those ideas definitely come into play. So the fact that you... So, so real, real quick, just to make sure I understand, when you yep. say short-term stay, it, it, what I meant was, maybe this is what you mean too, is uh, buying the apartment uh, room or whatever, the condo, but only nobody else staying there, just me staying there three weeks out of the year. Is that not possible? Oh, no, that, that's definitely possible. Sorry, I thought you were talking about renting it out when you're not there. No, Sorry. no, no, nothing like that. Yeah, yeah, just this would be empty for most of the time. And I would just stay there for the few weeks we come over. So, so there's two two alternatives there that I'm thinking. So one would be if there's a place near a ski resort area, like that would be the point of it, right? You'd, you'd go there for skiing and that's all you'd use it for. Um, so if something like that exists, I'd be interested in that. The alternative is buying a uh, apartment uh, in a larger city that we we would rent to someone else like they would like yeah, I know you'd have tenanted place yep. places and so they would just live there I would never stay there it would just be there for the long-term future where like we retire and we're there for five years and those that would be like the weekend place we'd go to so if I live in um you know uh, uh Hakodate and I want to go to Sapporo and I have the apartment in Sapporo I could go back and forth that way that was sort of the other idea but with Japanese, if you put a long-term tenant in there, the general basic lease that most of them get is automatically renewable. So it's not going to be, unless they move out and then you take ownership, you're not going to kick them out just to oh, so place they, they the stay as long as they want. Yeah. And is there, is there like a, a yearly, how does the, like the, the increases go? Is there a so 
like many things in Japan, there's a bit of a gap between the official legal policy and what actually happens in practice. So generally speaking, Japanese tenants will almost never insist or take you to court or refuse to vacate or anything like that. It's very, very, very rare. But if you do happen to have, let's say, a 75-year-old man with a lot of time on his hands that just, you know, makes a habit of bothering landlords, then they could have a legal leg to stand on because officially the leases are supposed to be renewed automatically every two years. You're not supposed to raise the rent unless you have very good um, indication that, you know, comparable rents are much higher. You're not supposed to kick them out unless you have a very good reason, you know, like, you know, your son got kicked out of their place and they need a place to live that. So if it ever does get to court, they have a bit more of a legal leg to stand on than they would in other countries. We've never had any Japanese tenant take us to court. And the foreign tenants that we have were kind of low income student types, so they wouldn't do that either. But if you happen to have, again, a bored old man with a lot of time on his hands or um, in contraction to that, uh, let's say a foreigner family who know their rights better or are not afraid of litigation like Japanese tend to be very conflict averse. And then you could potentially end up with them having a bit of a case. So to avoid that, if and when you do want to not renew the lease, you let them know six months ahead of the uh, uh, lease expiry date. And the best idea is to compensate them for a year's worth of rent because that's how much it's going to cost them to move in Japan, right? Interesting. Yeah. Um, so moving fees are very expensive. Sorry, go ahead. Um, I'm sorry. Um, to, when you do your, I noticed on the site you had some year over year annualized like gains or I guess potential gains. I'm not really sure how you calculate that. So yes, I six, five, four percent, depending on you know. I guess is the just the, pure cash flow. We're not counting any um, potential growth or anything like that. So it's just it's just that's what you're going to get back on your investment, and it's just going to be year over year. That's kind of how that that generally works. Pretty much. It does decrease over time because maintenance fees go up as the structure gets mm -hmm. older, but otherwise, yeah, pretty much. And that mm -hmm. also doesn't count vacancy and, and other unknowns like um, something breaks down. Yeah, So we can tell you that on average, vacancy and maintenance over a bigger portfolio would probably average, average to about 10% of your income every year. But if you have a single property and you've only held, held it for two years, that statistic kind of goes out the window. You could have something break down the day after you bought it. You could have a tenant move out 10 years down the track. So we, we don't know. Now, if you've been following this podcast for a while, and in particular our JREP sessions, you're probably more than familiar with Blanca Kobayashi of Arc Reform. They're a bilingual renovation company serving clients in the Kanagawa and Kanto area. So Tokyo, Chiba, Saitama, Kawasaki, Yokohama, they can handle simple, small-scale projects as well as full house renovations, and they will work with you on the perfect design for your dream family home. But not only homes, Arc Reform also handle commercial property renovations, offices, restaurants, bars, shops, you name it, from traditional classics to the latest trends in interior design and renovations. So you want to email them for a free consultation and quote at info at arcreform.com. That's A-R-K reform, all one word, dot com, and give your home or commercial space the love and care that it deserves. Yeah, and, then, and you guys, is it you that provides the services of, of the property management or is that the different company that does that? Well, everything is done through a different company. We're just your channel, your proxy, so to speak. We represent you in front of the real estate for the sale, in front of the insurance company, in front of the property management company, and tax department, whatever, repairs, renovations. Okay. So we we utilize third parties, depending on which city, we'll utilize different companies um, to do all of that on our behalf. 
Okay, so I know you're I know you're down in Fukuoka, uh, right? Somewhere yep. around there. Yeah. Um, so I mean, is it is it difficult to to, to deal with properties that are in the, the northern? Section? No, we work with third parties. We don't care. Even in Fukuoka, we don't do anything ourselves, so we don't mind. Okay, yeah. okay. I didn't know if the distance was was challenging because I, I I would imagine one of the um, I guess uh, underlying factors is having to inspect the property at some point, right? You need someone to go there and take a look. Only when it's vacant. You can't oh, enter a tenanted property by Japanese tenancy laws uh, unless the tenant asks for somebody to attend for maintenance or something of that sort. Otherwise, there's no inspections, not pre-purchase, um, only between tenants. Okay. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious on the, I guess, the two sides right now. I guess what I'm mostly looking at is, um, like I can mention either a machia or an apartment, uh, preferably if the apartment was empty and located in a one of the nearer ski areas. I mean, something like an Akita. I think I saw some in... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, uh, Toyama area might have some. I'm not sure, but yep. um, but yeah, so something where you could get it within a train ride, I guess, of one of the local ski resorts, or even I mean, Nagano is probably more challenging just because of the foreign presence. Well, I mean, if it's in Hokkaido, anywhere is within an hour from a ski resort, right? Right. Yeah. So those are the things I'm looking for. Like, I, I you know, if there's a place somewhere around Sapporo that is empty, that would be ideal um, for, for us, because it, it's assuming that we were talking about a five to 10 million range. I, I don't yeah. Know that's not an issue in support, but it's not going to be a huge place. It's going to be like a glorified hotel room, maybe 30, 35 square meter tops. Right. 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 Yeah. So it's something like that. I've seen a few out there that were like that. I've also looked at a few, um, kind of near the Toyama, Kanazawa area that, that were like a uh, Machia type that were pretty interesting. They were much older, obviously, um, probably more work needed, but they were also in that rough, rough range um, yeah but well i mean the you're the diy type but obviously if you own the house and there's no reserve funds that the building is taking care of the structure then everything's on you so once they get past the 30 40 year mark um i'd factor in to be on the safe side maybe three to four thousand bucks a year in annual maintenance and if you know depending on how much work you can actually do yourself that'll obviously go down but as they get older they deteriorate fairly quickly these wooden buildings in japan so just bear that in mind Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I totally understand. But I mean, some of these matches we're looking at are like 70, 80, 90 years yeah. old, you know, they're, they're quite old. So um, obviously I'm looking for the ones with the, with the original timber style uh, yep. construction. Um, so anyway, th those, those are what I'm generally looking at. So I don't know uh, sort of the process from this point. I, I know that there are a few, I believe there are a few sort of, it's not MLS, but it's sort of like an MLS ish um, sites. You can kind of look at the different properties, but I know you, you seem to be able to serve those up. Uh, yeah, so there's there's a bunch of websites that we normally search on. Um, obviously, once we have a better idea of criteria, we can also ping our agents that we've worked with in the past in that area and ask them what they've got on their list maybe before they published it on the MLS. Um, it's a very open, transparent market. Everything eventually gets there. It's just a matter of whether we'll be able to maybe slip in an offer before other people do. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we send you the website because it's a... In your case, it's more of a lifestyle choice. Normally, the best idea is for us to show you which websites to use. And if is you is your spouse, by the way, um, um, uh, Japanese? Not Japanese? Uh, no, unfortunately not. Yeah, so she's not okay. Japanese. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I mean, I'll send you a bunch of websites that are easy to just right click and translate. And then because it's mostly a case of you wanting you'd know best which property by the photos just ticks all of your boxes or not. With us, it's going to be a bit more trial and error until we drill down to the things that you actually like. So the fastest way would be for you to look at them, send us a short list, and then we'll give you our two cents about each of them, what we think might be more attractive, less attractive things to watch out for, that kind of thing. 
And obviously a deal can still, even if it ticks all the boxes on paper, once we actually do the due diligence and get the building's renovation history, how much they got in the reserve funds and how much debt they have or don't have, then that might kill a deal anyway, right? So those are the things you primarily look for is, uh, I guess- In a condo unit, yeah. in a condo unit, yeah. With a building, there's not much of a renovation history. The owner might said, you know, yes, I did the roof five years ago, but otherwise it's more a case of just, um, if it's the higher end of your budget, I'd probably go for a structural inspection. It'll cost you somewhere between 50, uh, 500 to 1500 bucks or so. Um, and then that might tell you, like, if there's significant stuff like termite damage or sinking or tilting, we'd probably say don't go for it. If it's minor stuff, you might want to then slightly renegotiate the price if possible, that kind of thing. Um, but with the building, we'll just look at the repair history, renovation history, reserve funds total and debt. Right. If and it's so vacant, the, if you're buying tenanted, we'll also look at the tenant history. Gotcha. Um, so the the here, if a building has some uh, un, unexpected damage and they suddenly have to make a big big outlay of funds, uh, sometimes they can do uh, like a like a hit to all the tenants to go and basically pool the money to. to That's to what we're trying to avoid. <laughs> so that can happen in Japan. I guess that was my question. Does that? It's happen? been rare. We haven't seen that happening in too many cases, but that's probably because we did our due diligence properly beforehand. We did have one case where all owners were hit for about 2000 bucks, I think. Um, but that's in close to 300 properties that we've managed over the years. So I don't, from our experience, it's not a major occurrence, but if we don't check on all of that beforehand, it could definitely happen. But normally what happens is if the reserve funds are slightly depleted and there's big renovations coming up because they haven't been done in the last 10, 15 years, then they just jack up building fees. And that can sometimes mm -hmm. take you from 200 to 400 bucks a month suddenly, right? So mm -hmm. we just try trying to minimize or at least um, make that happen as further down the track as we can when we, when we purchase. So uh, with, with these uh, apartment buildings, what, what are, what are, what's the like property tax and insurance look like to, to to cover them for a tenant. property tax for these types of units we're talking again probably one two bedrooms tops um, property tax is usually going to be under 300 350 bucks a year okay. oh sorry i should talk in yen because the rates are now a bit off um uh, 20 30 000 yen a year okay um building fees vary i mean you can see it on the listing when you look at them they can be if the building is smaller or older or you know it's got more grounds and gardens around it or more common areas it could be more but generally somewhere between 100 to 300 a, year, a month so 10,000 to 30,000 yen a month or so uh 30,000 yen being uh, in Japan relatively fancy building already uh 30,000 yen 30,000 yen a month is the most if you're looking at resort type ski like right next to ski resort properties then that's usually in a better managed resort then that can go more like three four hundred bucks a year a month yeah. sorry but um yeah, yeah. yeah with normal apartment buildings usually between ten thousand to twenty thousand yen a month yeah okay and uh i know that the it's a little bit different than the states where uh over the course of time, I guess the building obviously depreciates in value, but is there a point where it's just the, the buildings may not be there anymore? They may, may buy the people out and, and get rid of the tenants or something to, to, to demolish it and build a new one? Like how, how old do these gener do you generally not want to be looking for an apartment? Well, the tax depreciation lifespan officially for these um, concrete blocks is 47 years in Japan. We do have buildings, we've been at it for 12 years now. So some of the first buildings that our customers purchased in are now um, 50 or 51. 
but those are super central kind of monster beasts that are generating very good yield. So the owners are just really happy to keep renovating it till kingdom come. So we haven't had any case of demolitions. What we have had, which usually happens before that, is once a building hits that 40, 40 to 50 year mark, if it's a good location and worth it and a big land plot, developers start sniffing around and then they buy a couple of units at normal prices. So they get a vote on the owner owner union and then they'll try to start pushing for a, a, a sale, like a bulk sale of the entire building. Once they get to 80% agreement on the owner union, they can actually buy the building. So in that case, if you would normally not get a, it's not like in other countries where you have a huge payoff or a new unit in the new block. Usually they buy at market price or even slightly lower. And mm-hmm. um, you could, even if you're, you know, you're one of the 20% who have voted no, then the building will be sold. You can still keep your unit, but then whoever bought it has, you know, they control the common facilities so they can stop water, stop electricity, say we're not maintaining it anymore, that kind of So it eventually it will be worthless. Um, so we've had three cases in which we just agreed to the sale and we ended up getting our money or better or no, sorry, our money or slightly worse. But that was after, again, that's why we, we prefer to purchase them up to 30 years and younger so that you have at least 10 years of holding on to them. And you either, in your case, you just get the benefit of using it for 10 years, or if it's tenanted, you get the tenant income for 10 years, and then it's not a big deal if we sell it down the track, right? Yeah. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, Tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens. And they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know. They're tiny, they're noisy. Fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc., you definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. Yeah. And so so when you say, just to make sure I'm on the same page, if you have a 5% yield or cash, I forgot how you termed it, but that's saying if the apartment was 10 million, you're getting 5% of that every year? Every year. Correct. Before tax. 
before tax. And so yeah. it would take, in that case, is it 20 years to return, get your return, your full return? Yeah, but you'd resell them after, say, seven or 10 years, at which point you would have gotten already close to half of your money back. And then, you know, if you get your price or close to it, you're already well in the green. Yeah, so the, the, that's the other thing, right? The, the resale is not doesn't go up, it goes down generally, right? So when, when I buy something at 10, I might sell it for five in 10, in 10 years. Um, no, the, we've had customers sell at maybe 20% worst case off. And if the city's done well, if Japan economy did well, some of them sell at a profit or at least at the, at the price that they purchased. We haven't had such huge drops. The only exception would be if, for example, you've had a tenant living there for 20 years, which is not uncommon in Japan, then they move out or they pass away, which again is not uncommon in Japan. And there's a major renovation, right? You might suddenly have to pay, if it was a really cheap property, you might suddenly have, you know, you purchase it for 5 million, you need to renovate it for two and a half, three million. 3 million. Not worth it, in which case you would sell it at maybe close to half the price, yeah. Mm, I see, interesting. Yeah, so those are all things that are that that stand out. I, I didn't know if you're if you've dealt with many in the past of places actually near ski areas like a Nagano or uh, I mean, I, those, those a are, lot. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, those are probably the more popular and probably more expensive areas, but I'm sure there, there's a lot of other ski areas that are not. Near yeah, our customers. I mean, if you're going for the expensive areas like uh, Hakone or Niseko or places like that, that's multi-million-dollar properties, and there are so many international savvy agents there who will be happy to take your money. So our customers usually. <laughs> We come in in places where there are not many foreigners, not many realtors who can deal with foreigners, places like Nagano, Niigata, um, Otaru, those kinds of places. Um, and those those units are very, very cheap in many cases, but the monthly fees are the thing. People are selling them because they're getting old and they're not using them anymore. They want to stop paying three, 400 bucks a month, right? Right. Yep. I hear you. And so a place like Nagano or, I mean, I, I, have you ever dealt with anyone near Tazawako area? That one I'm not familiar with, no. Uh, Tazawaka is like in between Akita and um, and um, Sendai. It's kind of like right in the middle of the the two. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I, th those are those are the places that I was kind of looking at as a as a potential because they're just, I mean they're in the middle of nowhere and I can imagine it's probably not that expensive to live. But they're so. good. They're, they're good for you. You're happy with the area. For me, they're great. I've been there like three times at least already. <laughs> I've, I've been okay. in Japan over a dozen times, and they, I awesome. go, keep going back to this area all the time. Yeah. We were happy to look there. I mean, some of our customers have purchased them for ridiculous prices, like five, six thousand bucks. Right, right. The most that they've purchased so far in those areas through us was, I think, thirty-five thousand. So they're definitely not expensive. And right. but it's a case of again, number one, are you okay with the building fees, with the resort fees, and number two, how likely are those fees to go up in the very near future? So that's again where due diligence comes in. Right. And so uh, out of curiosity, but those you can't rent out, those you can't rent out at all, not short term, not long term, nothing. Oh, OK. So they're, they're anything on resort grounds is not not rentable. Yeah. Again, barring multi-million resorts like Niseko and so forth. Right. Right. So uh, in a place like that, though, what leeway do you have inside the, the, the uh, property to, to renovate yourself? The interior is basically up to you. You do need to coordinate with the owner union. So they'll tell you what day, you know, don't work on the weekends, don't work after 4 p.m., that kind of thing. But otherwise, the interior is entirely your business. The balcony does belong officially to the common areas, even though it's obviously for your private use. So anything you want to do on the balcony, you do need permission. Okay, great. Yeah, I mean, so th these are the questions I had. I don't, I think you've covered most of it. I, I'm pretty broad on what I'm looking for, but like for this first 10 year period, I am looking for something like an apartment or a machia type place that 
is minimal maintenance on the um, on the grounds. But I'm assuming that they have services in Japan where I could hire someone to, like you said, air out the place, vacuum clean it once a month or something like that, even though I'm not there. Yeah, so on resorts, um, usually the cheapest way is uh, resort management will offer that service for relatively cheaply. Um, otherwise, if it's a non-resort or the resort is too small to provide that service, then we just find a local. I, I mean, again, these kind of rural areas is going to be difficult for you to find and manage the relationship yourself, but we can do that for you. That's not a problem. Perfect. Yeah, that's kind of the, that's your job, right? Like to help me out with that sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> For the holiday, I get everything regarding the holiday and potentially investment property. We can't onboard new clients until the beginning of September at the moment because we just lost our bookkeeper just before tax time and everything's going crazy here. But we can definitely start working on that in September. I just wanted to just quickly touch on the visa that you mentioned. You've mentioned a visa that would let you stay here long term, even though your income is coming from overseas, not from Japan. So the what I've read on immigration, there's two two types, right? Like there's the the standard visitor visa, which is 90 days for the US yep. to go and stay. So that one's fine too. Obviously for the next 10 years, I'm going to be using that essentially. I'm never going to stay. So 90 days and it's extendable for once, once a year, it's extendable 90 days without leaving the country, unless you, there's something you know suspicious about you specifically. But if you just go to immigration, ask to extend another 90 days, the first time is usually not a problem. Oh, good to know. Yeah. So um, in my case, um, the the other long stay visa that I was researching had to do with um, you were you were required to have uh, proof of at least thirty million yen in in the bank that you had access to at any point in time, as well as um, proof that you had income coming in that you wouldn't be a burden to the country. And so in my case, that's not a problem. And uh, and then I also I have, I have pensions and things I'm getting that would more than support me while I'm in Japan. So is that um, visa? I, I think. That sounds like you're referring to the digital nomad visa. I didn't think that was out yet. They were mulling it. Uh, not that one. No, it's not digital nomad because I wouldn't be working at all. It would. It would be. Uh, it would actually be retirement I, I, visa. What I read was it was called the long stay, long term stay visa. Is what I read. It's, that's what they call it. The translation might be wrong, but um, but long long stay was what they called it, and it was it was extendable for a year. Yeah, that was to show, you had to show the financial uh, that you had the financial capability, and then uh, from what I read was you can extend it for up to five years, uh, assuming they don't have any problem with the with the renewal. Um, when you when you do find that link, could you send it to me? I'd be really interested in finding out about that one. Sure, I can do that. No problem. That'd be great. Okay, so your visa will. Uh, do you, by the way, are you self-employed? Or are you employed by a company or? Uh, I work for the government. You are for the government. Okay. So that's not a case of you being able to just set up a company in Japan and build your customers through the Japanese company or anything of that sort. Well, so I thought about that. So after I retire, I can do something like that, right? So I could, yeah. I'm, I'm going to retire when I'm pretty young. So I don't mind um, doing something like that. So that was a thought that I don't know what kind of reality there is with something like that. I wouldn't mind pursuing something if that yeah. were an option. Um, well, I've got another company. We can do that on another call another day. But I've got a company that enables you to invest in Japanese franchise businesses as franchisees. And because right. there's a franchise chain holding our hand, we can manage that remotely for you as well. So that would qualify for a business management visa unless you open up your own company on, on your own field of expertise, of course. Yeah, no, that, that all sounds great. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in a lot of things. I, I don't, I, when I retire, I don't actually want to stop working. I want to do something interesting. Sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So but awesome. I, I, I do believe that would, be a, that would be another avenue to stay. If you're working, you get sort of under there under the working visa. I don't remember what they call that. but um, Business management visa, they call it. Yeah, you don't have to actively work in the business, but you need to own it and, and you know, be the decision maker. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, I'm all, I'm all ears for any of that stuff. So. All right, I'll send you some links to our website, to, to our other company website, so you can have a quick peek at that. And if you hit me back around September, we can get started on the uh, on the property purchases. Sounds great. Yeah, and I'll, I'll keep looking on my end. And if you have any links on your end that you can send Oh, yeah, I'll send you. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks for reminding. So could you just reply to our last correspondence just to remind me to send you those Japanese property websites and the link to the franchise businesses? I will do that. Awesome. Great talking to you, Chris. Perfect. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. So there you have it. Nice, well-rounded, quick shooting kind of conversation on a wide range of topics, as promised. Hope you found some value in it. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time, and until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku!